This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2015's The Final Girls, directed by Todd Strauss Schulson. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. I've watched a fuckload of stuff. B's trying to get me to stop saying the F word so much, and yes. I don't think it's working. I think it's working decently. I have noticed that I just I've, mean on Twitter, it's a little excessive. I've toned down and, how much I say it when I text you, I've noticed. Yeah. I was like, I make a conscious effort. There have been a couple times where I'm texting you and I'm writing fucking, and I'm like, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> no, I have nothing wrong with saying fuck. It's just sometimes on Twitter, which is like a professional atmosphere, you'll be like, oh, this fucking movie is fucking ridiculous, and fuck that person, and fuck this prop, and I'm, this will be like five F-bombs in one tweet. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Or you'll be like, fuckity fuck fuck. Yeah. This I, movie. I do accentuate with the effort. It's a good word. I like that word. Yeah. But you're right. No. Um, Just a little bit less. Yeah. It packs more punch when it's a surprise. That's true. I need to, like, come up with, like, different words I can say. Like, I watched a shit ton of movies. That's yeah. That's cursing. I want to find, like, some old 50s slang that means, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll figure something out. And I'll start Instead of saying that. a lot. Yeah. No, I don't want to say a lot. It's boring. You could go back to saying hella. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I watched hella movies. Love it. That works. Um, no, I really did, though. I, I was looking at my letterbox, and I think I watched, like, 30 movies since last time we recorded. Um, partially because it's the festival circuit right now, and that means, I mean, I unfortunately don't get to go to any of the festivals. I mean, I could if I had the time off and the money, but... Um, I don't. So I pretty much get whatever, like, um, they, they do digital libraries and they open those up. And some of those I can talk about and some of those I can't. Um, I'm actually not touching on any of those today. Uh, but I did see the big one was, um, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark, which, as most of you probably know, is a pretty, like, um, high-caliber horror movie title that hit theaters recently, uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro. And directed by Andre Overdahl, who did um, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I really loved. And, of course, based off the old novels by Alvin Schwartz, which are nightmare fuel for any 90s kid, probably. I think those were, like, right around the era that they started permeating school libraries mm-hmm. for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so our age difference in schools for school years, and it was a very big deal when I was in elementary school. 
It yeah. was super popular. Yeah, and they were definitely popular when I, I, like, I distinctly remember my teacher reading them to us. Oh, that definitely didn't happen. I, re- I had one teacher, Mrs. Carter, who loved Halloween, and she read them to us, which I think is why I checked them out. But, um, it's kind of funny going back in, like, the original artwork, because a lot of people are like, they don't. Like, if they weren't in our age range, like, my my parents don't get it. Like, my dad didn't get it at all. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I guess you wouldn't understand. Cause he didn't I was, get the movie or the, the illustration? The, like, the books. He's like, what's this based oh. on? Like, what is this? And then I showed him, and he's like, that's kind of creepy. You read? He's like, you. I let you read that when you were four? And I was like, I mean, I, I don't know if you let me, but I read it when I was, like, four or five years old. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's an adaptation. It's taking these short stories, which themselves are just retellings of like actual pretty commonplace urban legends um, that are accompanied by really terrifying, terrifying illustrations, um, and it kind of you know lengthens it out into about an hour and a half ish movie, a little longer. Uh, there, are, so here's the thing: uh, you're going to see a lot of polarizing stuff online from like I think. It actually has like an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty solid, but still a lot of the reviews I read will like break down like, oh, it's not that scary, you know, and like um, the plot is kind of like doesn't need to be there, which I completely agree with. The plot, but I don't expect a strong plot from that movie. That's the thing. Like Mm -hmm. you're adapting short stories that are two to three pages long at a time. Like I don't expect you to have some great intricate plot. So is it not an anthology? It's not. Okay, so it's just found a way to get some of those characters together. Very much like Goosebumps. Found a way to get these characters together, which I think the movie actually would have done better as an anthology if they could have figured out, I think if the movie all took place in this town, kind of like Trick or Treat, like it takes place in this town. It's a solid reference. And these things are happening. It would have been really cool because the thing I like the most about the movie is the feel. The atmosphere is beautiful. Um, it feels like a small town. It feels like Halloween. It feels like fall. Like I wanted to live in that town because of the atmosphere it creates. Um, it was wonderful. But it does a lot of like pumping, you know, like it kind of like, it will like slam on the brakes and then pump the gas and then slam on the brakes and pump the gas because it's like putting this plot in every once in a while like in between the short stories it's putting this plot in and the problem is I don't really care about the plot I'm like just show me more of the short stories Mm -mm. but what really matters is I was sitting next to like two 11 year olds and they loved it and I was like well that's what matters because that's who this movie is for yeah like this movie obviously I had this argument with some friends like if you think this movie is not for us like you're tripping and I was like it is for us but the thing is like most of us are in our late 20s, early 30s, and are starting to have families. So this is the movie that we are taking children to, like our parents took us to, that is a gateway horror movie. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% what I've seen from any journalist that has a child. Like, any horror journalist who has a kid was like, my kid loved it. What's it rated? PG-13. Yeah, and, and Del Toro came out and said, because someone criticized him for it not being R, and he's like, it's for kids. We're adapting children's stories. This movie needs to be seen by the people we're trying to make see it. And I described it to be, too, like, it's a step up from Goosebumps. It's like, basically, if your kid loves Goosebumps, it was like, okay, I'm ready to be a little more scared. I'm ready to take it up a notch. Like, this is the next notch. Um, So I do highly recommend it for pretty much anyone, but really, if you have a kid, or if you can go in with the right mindset, because there are a couple people I know who were like, I just... It wasn't scary at all. I'm like, it's not... It has scary moments for sure, like, but it's not meant to be scary to us. It's meant to be scary to an eleven-year-old because right. that's the the market. Or, I mean, a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, in any and that like yeah. preteen, early teen range. It's gateway horror for for teens. It's a hundred percent what is what it is. Um, I also watched. I'd never seen The Fly, 
and I didn't even know it was the anniversary. So the day we're recording right now is the 20-whatever anniversary of the original, or not the original Fly, but the remake, the David Cronenberg remake, which also I found out is... I, I'm probably going to get some shade for this. This is the first Cronenberg movie I've ever seen. Mm. Um, I just haven't really seen a lot of his... I mean, obviously any of his stuff, but like Rabid and um, like the... I don't know how many I've seen. Dead Ringers and Scanners. Like, I'm not super into body horror, so it's never really appealed to me because that's what Cronenberg's kind of all about, video drone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, love this, though. Uh, Gina Davis at the height of, you know, Gina Davis. And Jeff Goldblum weirdly as like a sex star like a sex idol um but it works why is that weird jeff goldblum he was yeah i know but it's so bizarre to me because the way i think of goldblum is such a neurotic and not saying neurotic people can't be sexy but like he plays like i i think because and i understand a lot of people think he is sexy in jurassic park but that was my first introduction to jeff goldblum right he's kind of like this very kind of patronizing um like you know, like, physicist, and he's, like, kind of a nerdy character. Not that he's not attractive. Obviously, a lot of people think he's attractive yeah. in Jurassic Park. But, um, yeah, I don't know, but I love this. It was, it holds up 20-something years later. Like, the practical effects are amazing. Um, the, like, the changes, I mean, B and I were discussing, like, the differences between this and the original Fly, and, like, while I do love Vincent Price's The Fly, like, the changes in this, I think, are, like, when we talk about remakes and like when they do make good changes that's what this was like you know it's the 80s and like it's Cronenberg and he really embraced the body horror element of the of mm-hmm. the movie which is appropriate for super appropriate for this one um transforming into a fly yeah <laughs> um I mean I watched it with my roommate last night and both of us were like, like parts where he throws up both of us were just like ew and then when she rips his lower jaw off and he fully transforms into the fly we're like that was disgusting uh, yeah, so I absolutely love that. Um, lots of stuff on Shudder recently. I mean, I could, like, bill out so many things, but if you get a chance, um, you set aside, like, an hour, 50 minutes, and watch two shorts by two up-and-coming, uh, directors, The Quiet Room, uh, by Sam Weinman, who's one of the hosts of the Queer Wolf podcast, and he's directing the queer, um, horror film, uh, for Shudder. Um, that is his short film, um, which is, it's about a really creepy urban legend that exists in, like, this mental ward, but it's much, much deeper than that. It has to deal a lot with, like, mental health and, um, with, like, homosexuality, and it's, it's a scary movie, but you can tell it's deeply personal and really good. And then El Gigante, which is done by Gigi Sol Guerrero, who just did, um, the 4th of July segment of Into the Dark for, um, Blumhouse and Hulu. Um, and this one is um, basically like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but with Mexican flavor. Um, it's about a giant like luchador. Um, they like basically this family kidnaps people that are trying to cross the border and then throws them into a wrestling ring with this like massive luchador character. Um, I'm going to touch on one more before we move on to the one B and I both watched. Uh, if you haven't heard of the Banana Splits movie, it is this very oddball little film. Um, basically, uh, I think Warner picked it up. They figured out that apparently this Five Nights at Freddy's movie is never going to happen because who knows where it's stuck at and developed. Like last I heard, Blum had it. Um, but I don't know what they're doing with it. And it's a, like the popularity is waning. So, you know, if they got to cash in now at all, if they're going to get anything at all. And there's this like super weird 70s TV show owned by Hanna-Barbera called The Banana Splits, which is about like these four giant 
like anthropomorphic animals that were in a band together and the one from the 70s is like a variety show like similar to what you'd see like um like the sunny chair show or like things like that um and this is like a murderous version of that so basically a kid and his family go on his birthday and you know it's in present day and the they're all like giant animatronics and they get coded wrong um and like they basically get coded it's not a spoiler with the show must go on and they take it very literally so when they find out they're canceled they've decided that the show must go on and the way to do that is by kidnapping children and murdering all their parents um it's really goofy fun it's not great like by any means but it if you are like kind of jonesing for that 90s era horror where we were getting things like jack frost and uncle sam i think it fits in perfectly with that uh and then lastly um b and i both watched school spirit which is the blumhouse into the dark for august which ties into back to school um and it is a slasher so maybe we won't dive too deep into it because maybe we'll cover it someday yeah um but i we i think we both liked it mm-hmm and we both agree that the dialogue is atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know if it's on purpose or not. I, Yeah, it doesn't seem intentional. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's trying to say more than it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and really falls flat in that. Um, it's, it's, it's fine. I liked it. And I liked it because I'm a slasher fan, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think there was a lot of potential that it just kept missing. Yes. Um, which it, So it, it left me feeling disappointed because I'm like, well, that was cool. I wish they would have done more with that. And this part was good. Wish they would have done more with that. It almost was like a really solid hybrid of 80s and 90s horror because there were things from both eras, like tropes, that they capture really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you. Like, there's a lot of it. Like, you can tell they were going for, you know maybe Williamson type teens and they didn't quite get there um they're just not very they they wanted nuance but they didn't get yeah it. yeah like so, they kind of just end up like being kind of assholes yeah yeah it's interesting um yeah I'd be interested to learn and the downside to these like into the dark is there's usually like not a ton of info about them um this is the debut from the director Mike Gann um it's yeah i mean check it out i mean it's fine if you're a fan of slashers um there's things to enjoy about it for sure um it just left me a bit disappointing and disappointed and wanting more and it's definitely i was trying to think about it and perhaps it's something that's better for like gateway yeah like teens i really just don't think we're the audience and i don't think Hardcore slasher fans of the audience, because, I mean, I called the killer within... Oh, minutes. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, like, plays out very predictable. Um, and so I think... I was thinking about it. I'm like, this might actually be something good for, like, my niece. Because there's no sex in it. There's no... Um, I mean, the gore is... Mi- there's one it's really good There's a really scene. good... Yeah. There's one excellent excellent kill yeah um that's pretty pretty brutal um so besides that but like my niece is um 14 i'm like this would actually she'd probably really like this Mm because she likes horror and it's like a good entry level slasher kind of same in the vein i would say it's similar in vein to 
my super psycho sweet 16. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not as good. Yeah, and the mascot's cool, though. The or, mascot's really cool. Like, yeah, the, like, who ends the, up, the like... The slasher killer. Yeah, like, the, the, the school spirit. he dons. Yeah. yeah, is really cool, so... So that was that. It had potential, for sure. It definitely had potential, and I would be, yeah. I I will also take any slasher I can get. Right. We're still in the slasher drought, although I believe the slasher renaissance is happening, because every time I turn around, a new slasher movie is announced. Yeah. Uh, You know who just got, um, they announced one today. What's it called? I think it's from our boy. Who did? Yeah. Um, Patrick Lussier. Oh. Announced a slasher today called, called Treat. Trick. Or called Trick, yeah. With, um, what is that, Omar Epps? Yeah, Omar Epps, Jamie Kennedy from Scream oh. is in it. Yeah. Um, nice. And if you guys remember, Patrick Lussier did My Bloody Valentine, which mm-hmm. me and I really, really like. So. And he did the Into the Dark episode, um, the Thanksgiving one. Oh yeah, Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood, yeah. which is one of my favorites of the yeah. series. And he did Drive Angry with Nick Cage, which is a ridiculous grindhouse movie that I truly enjoy. So um, I'm very excited for that. And it's that all cool. Got announced today, and it's coming out in October. So it's like, here you go, here's a slasher movie. Beautiful. So, yeah, love it. So I. And this is not Into the Dark. This no, is, this is. Is it going to be theatrical? Yeah. Uh, don't know if it's theatrical. But RLJE it's... announced it. Um, they're usually straight to DVD or Blu-ray, but. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, VOD. But yeah. October 18th, we'll get it. So, yeah, new slasher movie. I mean, they announced The Babysitter 2 today. That is a slasher movie. Yeah. Obviously, Halloween and, like, um, we're just getting all Well, no slashers. Halloween this year. Next no, year. but, like, the last yeah. Halloween and then, you know, like, the success of Halloween and even Happy, Happy Death, Death Day. Day. Yeah, yeah. So, I think we're, yeah, hopefully we're on the verge of a, It's. it feels like it's bubbling. It does, especially with all of these rumors of, like, every time I turn around, it's like, is this the new Nightmare? Is this the new Nightmare? Like, because James Wan had something he was going to announce, and they're like, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street. But, like, every time I turn around, I swear there's, like, a new rumor of a movie, and like, it's Nightmare. So, I think Only. we're getting there. Um, I watch TV, because what is to be expected? Um, so, the third season of Glow came out, and so I watched that. It is the show about female wrestling that's not really about wrestling at all gorgeous ladies wrestling yes um and it's it's good i mean it's good because it's an exceptional cast speaking of gina davis she's introduced this season and what she has, yeah she has an amazing role in it that's really great God, I love gina they're davis. in vegas this season and so it's really it's an entirely different set um the characters are all in really different places um, they do, it's a little heavy handed in my opinion in the, we are really inclusive and here's some storylines about all these different kinds of scenarios you can be in if you're gay or whatever. And I love that because I want inclusivity, but a few of the storylines, because there's a lot, there's quite a few characters in the show who are gay, um, and I love those, and those storylines feel natural. But there's a couple this season that felt a little forced and a little, like, shoehorned in there, and I didn't love that. But it's, like, a minor complaint. Um, I really do like where they've set it up for next season. So it kind of felt like one of those transition seasons where it's, like, if here we If we get a next season. I feel like every it, time Glow ends, it's always on the bubble. Yeah, the, yeah. whether it's going to get renewed. Because Netflix, who knows? Yeah, I mean, decide. yeah, there's no way to predict how they're going to renew their shows. So if there is a fourth season, I really like where it's going and how it ended. Um, 
But yeah, well, I mean, it was good. It really was. That was like a minor complaint is like a couple of it felt like a little bit. Like best season so far though? Or do you still think season one is the best? No, no, this would be my least favorite season. Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you like two more than one? Or does it go one, two, three? It goes in order. Yeah. Yeah, One, two, three. Um, Let's see. Oh, and then I started the second season of The Sinner. Um, So that is a USA original show. The first season was starring Jessica Biel, who's also an executive producer about it on the show. And it's a mystery show. Bill Pullman is like the main detective. Uh, Exceptional, exceptional first season. I absolutely loved it. It kind of blew me away. It was I think like it blew a lot of people. Away. It did. I, I mean, when it came out, Bill it was, like was a nominated hit. for yeah. an Emmy. A couple things. It was like, wow, this is so good. It really was. It sort of had that. Um, I mean, it's just a really great detective show. Um, really, every single episode. I like how they slowly let you in on new information. It really reminds me of a TV version of the book trend of like the untrustworthy mm. narrator. It which, kind of reminded me of the vibe of the killing. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, but less focus. I mean, the detective storyline is involved, but more focus on the actual case. Right. And then the relationship between the main detective and the person that he's trying to figure out if they did it or if they didn't do it. So season two starts out. Um, Bill Pullman's character Ambrose returns to his hometown. So completely new. The only returning character is the detective. So it's just like that story's over. They make a tiny reference into the first episode where they're like, oh, yeah, I heard about that case with that woman. And then that's it. We're on to this new storyline. So he comes to his hometown to help out this brand new detective after a 13-year-old boy confesses to poisoning um, two people. And you end up sort of learning about the town in the town and this essentially a cult inside of the town a commune um sounds like a gillian flynn novel yeah no exactly that's what i'm saying it has it it has like severe yeah like sharp object vibes like these and the way the narration the way that and it's continuing on into the second season the way they tell it they give you you're led to believe that this is the situation and then at the end of the episode, you'll get a new piece of information that basically makes all of that mm-hmm. invalid or wrong in some way. And then you start the new episode. So I love that. It really is sort of like you don't know if the information you're getting is correct. It's very well done. I super enjoy the the storytelling devices that they use. And, and I still just, I still, I know he's very acclaimed. I still think Bill Pullman's, uh, like, he doesn't get the praise he deserves. He's like a talent. He's so yeah, good. He's really I good. Love he's him. exceptional in this show. So it's both seasons are on Netflix. Um, I highly, highly recommend the first season and this one. I know I sang its praises last summer when I stumbled upon the first season. I'm only like three episodes into this season. I don't think they're very long. They're like maybe eight or ten, if that. But so good. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. I haven't. Really, I've been working a lot, so not a ton of time to watch things because when I design, I can't pay attention. And these, all the things I've been watching and into right now are things I have to focus on. So I've been watching like background stuff, but nothing. Bee's a busy lady. Yeah. She has a kid. I mean, you 
you know, uh-huh. she runs her own business. Yeah. Yeah, I try and be present. I mean, my son is tiny. He's yeah. Hit four months yesterday, um, which is insane, but he still sleeps, like, most of the time. Yeah. He's only awake for, like, little parts of the day. So when he's awake, I try and be very present and be with him and not do anything else. Um, so that definitely dictates a lot of my day, happily. Uh, before we jump into the movie, I just have to, I'm going to throw a, a little, it's not a life update, I, but I am, like, I keep almost laughing on air because, so, for those of you who tuned in the last episode with Aaron and Brennan, so Brennan is texting me right now talking about how we almost got into a fight about whether Nightmare 3 was a slasher movie or not, when I was very inebriated. Um, and I can't stop laughing because he's just being very fucking sassy with me and talking about how we almost like fought for real. Um, and so for those of you, uh, who haven't listened to that episode, go and listen to it. Cause it's truly just one of the best episodes we've ever done. Um, but Brennan and I got into an argument when I was very drunk about, and you can, the you, nightmare movies in general. Yeah. But specifically the third one, because I did retract a little because again, I was drunk. So I say things in hyperbole and then I have to like narrow down and be like, wait, let me actually say what I'm trying to say here because I know I'm an extravagant drunk and I like get exuberant and say things. And then I'm like, wait, wait, let me tell you what I meant. Yeah, and I'm, then that. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I stand by it sober, still stand by it because they were talking with they, they how it got brought up was we were like they were kind of asking like when are you going to ta- tackle the big stuff you know like and we're like this 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 and i'm like well you know like in nightmare like i kind of think like nightmare's not really a slasher movie after the first one and they're like what are you talking about and, and i was like well, Brennan and know. i got enraged yeah so and i stand by it nightmare three is not a slasher movie it's a fantasy horror movie of slasher elements and i stand by that but <laughs> brennan was super upset i want to have a sober discussion with him about this um but I'll have to come on for that episode. <laughs> yeah, he really will. Um, but I just had to throw that out there before we jumped into uh, our film, which is The Final Girls from 2015. Yes. Um, when Max and her friends reluctantly attend a tribute screening of an infamous 80s slasher film that starred Max's late mother, they are accidentally sucked into the silver screen. They soon realize they are trapped inside the cult classic movie and must team up with the fictional and ill-fated Camp Bloodbath counselors, including Max's mom as the shy scream queen, to battle the film's machete-wielding masked killer. With the body count rising and scene after iconic scene, who will be the final girls left standing and live to escape this film? Yeah. Um, it was released very limitedly uh, in like theaters. A- it was a festival film. Yeah. It's up by Southwest earlier that year, so when's that? April, usually, right? May, something yeah, like that. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, yeah spring. And, um, uh, then VOD. Yeah, so theaters October 9th, 2015, and then hit disc and streaming November 3rd, so a month later. Yeah. Um, I remember when this was hitting the circuit, because festivals usually, they'll go a year before they hit, which is annoying. Mm-hmm. It's basically like... It's not until the next festival circuit that the movies actually start to get distribution or release or whatever. Did they get sold? Yeah, so we have to, like, you just get to hear about how amazing a movie is and how how it's going to, like, especially the worst is once you start getting more involved with, like, 
the horror Twitterverse or like those the journalists is like people tag you and they're like, you're gonna love this one. And I'm like, great, I get to watch it in a year mm-hmm. because like unless someone sends me a screener, which you just gotta like hope. That was Black Hood's daughter. It's like oh my on God. Shockwaves, Elric yeah. talked about it for like two years. He's like, oh, February. Yeah, yeah, that movie, it's so good when it comes out. Oh, I shouldn't be talking about it because it's not out. And then I literally think it was two years before it, was, it came out. Yeah, yeah, it was like a running joke. Yeah. Um, and but that movie was amazing. I was so good. Yeah, it, was it was my top of that year. Oh, yeah, I was it was fantastic. obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, so rightfully so, he couldn't help but talk about it. Yeah. But, um, but Final Girls, like, everything I heard, I was like, well, that sounds amazing. And then, like, you know, because at first it's it's announced, and then they're like, and it stars these people. I'm like, well, shit, I love all of them. And then it's yeah. like, and these were the supporting actors. And you're like, what? And then what happens a lot with these movies, too, is, like, the cast will be they'll become more prolific by the time the movie actually hits because they go on and have a career still. Right. So, like, you know, especially in this one, we get, like, Taste of Farmiga and Malin Ackerman, who was big by the time they came out. But, like, Taste of Farmiga and... Nina um, Dobrev. Nina Dobrev and Thomas Middleditch. Yeah. So, like, lots of people who went on to be in lots of things. So you fall in love with those people. So you're like, oh, I want to see this movie even more now. Yeah, I remember I've always been a huge Milan Ackerman fan, and I'm a massive Dobrev fan, because Degrassi forever, Vampire yeah, Diaries forever. Um, and so I remember she was posting pictures at South by Southwest on her Instagram, and I was like, oh my god. I was dying. But I actually didn't see this until recently. Like, I don't know, has it only been within a year? Maybe. I think so. Maybe a two. Maybe two years. Yeah. But I, it was just one of those things that I just knew I would absolutely love. It's right up my alley. Um, And I just never got around to watching it. And we were at um, the local record store here in Sacramento that sells used Blu-rays. And I saw that they had it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it. And then I bought it. And then it sat on my shelf for a while. I think it was two years ago this October. I remember I watched it because I was watching. You wanted to wait for Halloween. Yeah, I was just watching a bunch of stuff, and I watch it. I'm like, oh, uh huh, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Uh, made for four point five million. Uh, no box office reporting again. I mean, super limited. Yeah. So it was. I I believe this is how it works. So it's made for that amount of money. They make their money because they sell it to mm-hmm. be just. Dis- for distribution, so that's how they make their money back on a lot of these festival films, and then the cut from um, streaming and VOD, which I believe there was like some kind of like report on that. I wasn't sure how accurate it was, but I saw it was like one point five million for physical media sales. Interesting. Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like these yeah. ones. Um, also, though, I just want to point out. I know we're going to get into the editor and cinematographer and stuff soon, but. If you can make a movie that looks this damn good for $4.5 million, like, sometimes I look at movies and I'm like, what did you do with your budget? Because I think this yeah. movie is beautiful. No, so I always think about that with, and this isn't, well, no, it's a good example. So there's a movie called Hit and Run that mm-hmm. um, yeah. Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell did together, uh, I don't know, what year? Early. Six years ago, seven 2011, years ago. Yeah. I think, in that range. Yeah. Um, they made it for $2 million, and that is like a car chase action movie. 2012, yeah. 2012, yeah. Damn, I was close. Um, so there's like multiple car chase scenes in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's They're there's on the road. There's a ton of people. Bradley Cooper's in it. I mean, Dax and K-Bell, because Dax directed, obviously, I don't think 
Kristen requested a paycheck for that film. I would doubt Ryan but, did either. Right? Um, Ryan, Ryan Hansen was in it. Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. Um, that cast is stellar. Such a great cast. It's a really great movie. If you haven't seen it, Hit and Run, my vows were actually straight out of the film. It's very, very well done. It's definitely a piece of Dax, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so if you like him as a person, um, de- you'll love the movie. It's really well done, really funny and put together in a great... Um, commentary on relationships mm-hmm. and yeah, I love getting it. to know people and what secrets can do to your relationship. I don't know. It's a very multi-layered film. Blah, I need blah, to blah. rewatch it. It's you really good. It? I own it. Okay, I can okay. borrow it. Okay. Um, anywho, but that movie was made for $2 million mm-hmm. and you would never know looking at it. Um, and so, yeah, for films like this, I think that's, I mean, we know that's why Blum's like figured it out yeah. because they're making these films for little money. It's crazy because you look at, like, a Blumhouse movie that, like, so Halloween is one of the bigger budgeted Blumhouse movies, and mm-hmm. it was, like, 18, I think? Like, not yeah. even 20 million? I don't know. We Maybe it was about 25, it. like, tops. Yeah. 10. Uh, 10. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's just, it's crazy. It is crazy what you can do. Like, so when I see, I mean, a lot of times, too, obviously, with these, like, blockbusters, it's CG and also... Names. names yeah you're paying for robert Downey jr and for, yeah for chris evans and so i get i get that like anytime i see anything with meryl streep and i'm like what why is the budget that high? i'm like oh duh like meryl streep is getting her money like i, I guarantee the new little woman movie is probably like a little more than it should be because meryl streep's in it unless she took it on as like a passion project which i watched that trailer which is something i don't normally do but um uh, were it, you instantly excited oh i was so stoked on oh it. my god that cast it looks so Holy good sh- but Greta Emma Gerwig. Watson, uh, Sorcy Ronan, Florence Pugh, who was in Midsommar, so I'm completely bought in on her because she's amazing. Laura Dern and Meryl Streep, are yeah. you kidding me? And Come then, on. I don't know. I haven't seen, I mean, maybe I have, but I'm not up on the Timothy. Oh, Timothy. Um, Chalamet. Yeah, I don't know how you say his no, last name, from, but um, call me by your name. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Stella. No, I know. Yeah, and then he was in uh, that new one with Steve Carell, too. Beautiful he's in, boy. like, a lot of stuff, yeah, but I didn't so know good. it was him, and I was like, who's this, like, scrawny little kid in this mm-hmm. movie? And then I'm like, oh, that's why he's in this movie, because yeah. it's that guy. And Greta Gerwig, yeah, yeah, straight off, like, you know, this Lady Bird, yeah, so excited. Uh, anyway, sorry. Tangent, tangent, tangent. Yeah, tangents. Um, the movie is pretty well received. You know, we've yeah. discussed a lot on the show what, like, an average slasher gets, which is usually probably 40 50% on yeah. a good day on Rotten Yeah, Tomatoes. under 50. Yeah. Always almost always rotten yeah um but definitely which what do you have to be to be certified fresh 75 70 70 maybe maybe um it's either either 70 or 75 but this has a 72 percent um general consensus was final girls offers an affectionate nod to slasher tropes while adding a surprising layer of genuine emotion to go with the meta amusement uh, Dennis Harvey of Variety gave it a positive review, writing though, uh, writing though not quite as inspired or consistent as the similarly self-mocking likes of the Cabin in the Woods, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, or the first two screen picks. This is good fun that should delight horror or genre fans. This is a weird review for me um, because I know they're all meta takes and like satire and parody, but this movie is not like any of those. Tucker and Dale is the closest that it's like, um, but Scream to me is not like this at all Uh -uh. and neither is cabin in the woods Mm -mm. Um, but they are all i think it's interesting to make the comparison because it's a very it's a small genre Mm -hmm. because it's either it's scream or it's trying to be like scream and not really meta because all it's trying to do is be like scream 
And then these couple films, that's really, there's right. not much else out I give there. him props for even touching on Tuckendale because it gets overlooked a lot. Because yeah. that movie's still under, I like, I mean, Mask of Leslie Vernon's. Yeah, yeah. That, like, The Rise and Fall of Leslie Vernon, yeah. that one is a big, uh, Behind the Mask. Um, Behind I the mask, think it's yeah. a lot, this ride's closest, actually, probably to that. Yeah. Um, for and sure. I also, I also thought it was weird that he says not as consistent because I think it's incredibly consistent. Like, every other minute is playing on a trope from a movie or into the idea of them being stuck in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very consistent. I, I Maybe not quite as inspired because mm-hmm. simply for the fact that it's literally just ripping from, like, riffing off 80s movies, so it doesn't need to be inspired because yeah. the inspiration's there to draw from, so you don't need to do too much with it. Although the whole layer of, like, Max and her mom is something, but... Yeah, I, I, there I were, agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do think there would be, like, to be, like, minorly nitpicky on this film, um, there was room to make, like, the killer Billy more interesting um, and have a little bit more... I mean, you get the backstory on him, like, through the how the film, like, goes through it, but it does kind of feel like he's just there. Um, where the most of the 80s films that, and especially like Friday that he's ripping off, the killers are so much more like integral to the plot. Yeah. It's weird because you get his whole plot line, but it doesn't. It's, it's, yeah. And like his mask doesn't make sense or ever get explained. There's yeah. never a scene where he just picks it up or, I mean, well, I guess he they do explain he it. He finds it. He some, makes it. Oh, he does make it. Yeah. yeah he makes that's it right. in jail or something not in jail because he he survives and he goes off to the cabin and he, oh like, and makes he his makes own it mask. there yeah yeah so they do explain it but it all seems very just i don't know so that'd be my only thing that doesn't feel as inspired is like our killer themselves but i think that was slightly the intention too is it really supposed to be about the counselors mm-hmm. and the kids in the movie yep and then he does just happen to be there killing off people and that's a problem right which is kind of, it does add to the humor. Like him yeah. kind of just being in the background killing people. Yeah. Um, S- Sebastian Zavala for Screen at Anarchy wrote, uh, part deconstruction of 80s slasher movies and part emotional mother-daughter bonding drama. This film works surprisingly well considering it lacks many of the staples horror flicks such as Friday the 13th were famous for, namely blood and nudity. Um, and B did pull up some trivia. That was heavier in the original script. Um, but it got toned down because... Um, they wanted it to not have an R rating. Yeah, they wanted... Because originally, they wanted... The company that New Line originally wanted it, but they were going to take out all the mother-daughter stuff, so they passed on New Line having it and went to Sony, but to be with Sony, Sony wanted to tone it down to a G13. So that was the, the give and take on yeah. that Yeah, so I think what... Like, literally what makes this movie special is the mother-daughter plot line. 100%, Without yes. it, it would be very generic and it would be fun it would be fun because you'd be like oh yeah i love but generic yeah yes it'd be like oh here's these characters trapped in an 80s slasher isn't that fun yeah not saying it'd be a bad movie no 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 but what makes this a good movie that you care about the characters is like this really interesting scenario of the mother daughter that you normally wouldn't be in and the reason why i think they didn't want to take that out is it was one of the co-writers um joshua john miller his father jason miller was in the exorcist yeah he played father Karras. yeah and he had just passed away and so he wrote this sort of an inspiration of that because he would watch the exorcist 
um, over and over and see his father and often just have the thought that he wished he could go into the film and just be there with his dad. And so that's what inspired this. So for one of the co-writers to be like, well, the literal inspiration for this film is the fact that like his, the father actor situation, you're not going to want to take that out of your Mm -hmm. movie. And, and like, I love that they passed on it. Like, cause that's a ballsy move. Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes like, it's like, we might not get another studio interested. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they pass on it is I think really bold and, and also the, the right move. Yeah. So I think it's just interesting to note that not for lack of trying, they, I guess there was a lot of nudity and gore in this. They wanted it to have that sort of, you know, 80 sleazy feel, feel, but no, you, you pick and choose. That's, Another thing that's great about this podcast is when you're looking at a film and you're going like, God, why didn't this work? Like, we often try and think, well, maybe it was because of the writer. Maybe it was because of the producers. And like this, it's like, luckily it still succeeds. But if it wouldn't have, I would 100% attest it. Well, it's the, not even the production. It's the company that was distributing it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's crazy how many things can get where things can get taken out and what can get taken out. And that doesn't ever, for, like, the non, you know, film buffs and connoisseurs of that kind of information, it's going to get blamed on just the writer, just Mm. the director, just the actor, when there's, you know, usually a lot more going on. I mean... Sometimes it's just a bad script. That No, for sure, that happens. But I agree with B, like, one of the great things about this podcast is how much we have been able... Because even, like, four or five years ago when you and I would watch movies, we'd be like, oh, my God, the script was so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we'd leave it there. But yeah. now, like, I really do dive into things. I'm like, well, like, you don't... Like, who knows? Because, like, the script could have been awesome and then, you know, on in the editing room, it, like, just got left on the table or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the distribution company or the producers, like we saw with the Weinstein, so with Black Xmas, mm-hmm. like, every yucky part of Black Xmas. You it watch exists. that movie yeah. and you'd probably be like, this is gross, the director's gross, but then you read up on it like never mind the yeah. wine seats are gross yeah um yeah so it's it is nice to like have that forethought to like really dive into stuff uh b what do you think of this poster um i think it's really good um i like the I, color palette on it yeah so they do like a sunset palette where it's like orange and purple um and it's uh the poster it's illustrated, the character is illustrated, which is obviously in tune with 80s trend. Almost all 80s posters are illustrated. Um, you get the whole cast on there, which is a massive cast. Um, you've got our killer in the back with his machete, and then there's small things breaking out of the border. I like that because of what the film is. I like that they didn't try and make the whole thing look like it was a traditional 80s film. I like that that's just a small square of it, and then the machete and the type for the final girls breaks out, and then the rest is treated a little bit more traditionally to posters now, where we've got the pull quote um, on top of it, we've got the cast at the very top, um, and then we've got all of our specs over at the bottom and the different film festivals that it was chosen from. Um, the typeface is great. I mean, it's hand-done for sure. Um, it's meant to sort of have that Friday the 13th, yeah. like, scrawled-out handwriting, eroded. Um, it's not dripping blood. Beautiful. Congratulations. That works sometimes. It doesn't need to be there all <laughs> the time. Yeah. Especially with a hand-done 
um, hand lettered type like this. And then this, is, this, and then the poster for Camp Bloodbath in the movie are both modeled after the burning, correct? Um, this yes. Because hit like the, the way he's... well, the movie, uh, the poster for Camp Bloodbath two. Okay. When they're in the movie theater scene. Um, that one is meant to look like the burning poster. Okay. Um, and they actually like, you'll see it if you watch the DVD or the Blu-ray. There's like a blooper reel that kind of plays during the credits. And um, what is his face? Middle Ditch. What's yeah. his first name? Thomas. Thomas Middle Ditch trips over the rope in the theater, and that was not on purpose. He did that on accident. And in the blooper, it's like, oh shit, fuck, and everybody's like laughing because he just totally like biffed it and then they decide they're like oh wait it allows us to linger on the the sequel poster longer and so they just had him do it in the film that's cool because they realized it was an opportunity to be able to show off this awesome set piece that kind of gets glazed over as an easter egg which i mean still an easter egg but you get a little bit of a better look at it um which i absolutely love the special features huh did you watch the special features no no i didn't uh no sequels Unless you count the pseudo-sequel right at the end of the movie, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm really glad they did it. So my husband never has never seen it, and he watched it with us. And he's... He's so good at... It's annoying. Yeah. I, I mean, we're both good at predicting, too. But, like, specifically horror. But Ben can watch any movie, and he's like... This uh, is what's going to happen. But that's going to happen. Yeah. And we've both seen it, so we're like, motherfucker, that is what's going to happen. But goddamn, yeah. like... And then we're just sitting there quietly, and he's, like, looking at us, trying to tell if we're, like... And I'm like, would you like me to tell you if you're right? And he's like... No, I'll see. It's going to happen. Yeah. You don't need to tell me I'm right. I know I usually right. just, like, look at the TV. I'm like, Fuck, <laughs> if he looks at me, he's going to know he's right. So Yeah, it's super annoying to watch things with him that I've never seen because I try not to let... There's some things, like I mentioned school spirit, mm-hmm. I just, instantly. Well, yeah. There's instinct. no part of me that could ignore it. It was just like, I'm like, oh, that's the killer. That's going to happen in movies that are predictable if you're very familiar uh, with the tropes and the archetypes of it. But a lot of movies, I just try not to let my brain go there. I just want to enjoy it, and my husband does not think that way in any scenario, not even just watching movies. No, that's real life. He just looks think, at things. You think that person's going to do this? Yeah, like, he just... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he just dissects stuff. Yeah. And so I have to tell him, like, shh, be quiet i don't want to know what's going to happen i want to be surprised like, oh, but so obvious i'm like i don't care i don't care if it's obvious like Let three me be. different beats in this movie yeah. he's like oh that's going to come up i'm like i know it is uh-huh. <laughs> like, you're right. yeah he called every single one yeah. correctly and yeah. then he's just so smug about it oh, he, yeah he loves that he knows uh-huh um but it's true uh the director was todd strauss solson who did a very harold and kumar christmas before this um, and then he did Isn't Romantic, which actually just came out this year, starring Rebel Wilson and I think Liam Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth and um, Priyanka... Chopra. Chopra Jonas. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it. Be did. I did watch that on my maternity leave. I don't know if I talked about it on here. I might have I not. I don't think I don't have so. the nicest things to say about it. Yeah, um, so. It was, really? as a big rom-com fan, it was... A meta, it was the same in the same vein. Very you can meta. see why they tapped him. Yeah. Because it's this movie but for it is. rom-coms. It's exactly this movie but for rom-coms. Um, Rebel Wilson is not your typical rom-com lead and she stumbles, she hits her head and wakes up in a rom-com world where she's the star. Um, I really like Rebel Wilson. I don't like her in this role and I don't think she's 
quite has it to carry the lead, or at least in this situation. Um, I've seen her, I mean, I think she's brilliant in the Pitch Perfect movies. I've seen her in a couple other things, and I genuinely think she's super funny. Um, but this was not was not great, and everybody else was super flat, too. Oh, and it's got um, Adam Devine in it, too, or Devine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a great cast. I really liked everybody in it, and it's got... Um, I don't know her name, but she plays um, Liberty Bell in Glow. She's in it as well. Um, I don't know. It's It just wasn't great. I totally understand why he got picked to direct it. Um, I don't think the movie... I think the movie did pretty poorly. Oh, yeah. Um, but I would be interested to see, like, other things he could do with maybe a, a different script. Yeah. And it looks like he likes comedies. Yeah. Um, Which this is a comedy. Oh, it's 100%. A for sure, yeah. Uh, the writers are M.A. Fortin, who was one of the hosts of Queer Wolf um, podcast. He has since left, I think, to pursue more movie stuff. Um, and he, it's him and his partner. Yes. Um, like, I believe his writing partner, and maybe really a partner? I'm not sure. I don't know. Definitely writing partner. Yeah, um, I so know. Joshua John Miller, they wrote this together, and they're currently writing the Queen of the South TV series together. Yeah. I don't want to speak out of turn, so I don't know, but I do know Mark is queer. <laughs> That's why he was on Queer Wolf. Um, and then Joshua John Miller, who he was the one whose father played um, Father Karras, and he's also been an actor. He was in Near Dark, River's Edge, Teen Witch, so kind of like the 80s. Yeah, he was a child 80s. actor. Yeah. Child, young, teen. And then looks like he's really switched all behind-the-scenes stuff since then. Yeah, that actually happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Oz Perkins actually did that, who we were talking about with um, Black Coast Daughter. He was in Legally Blonde. <laughs> Um, Gregory James Jenkins did the score. He's mostly done children's TV for <laughs> programs like Tots and Goldie and Bear. Um, I really like the score of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's nothing, like, super original, but he perfectly apes 80s era, like, Styling. stylings. And they uh, use a lot of music in this one, too. Yeah, that's So it's, true. A, it's, it's pretty heavy on actual music cues. But, yeah, there's a, like, just hardcore, oh, this is almost the... Um, Jason Q. Oh, big time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, so he, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. It rides the line close to Friday the 13th. It does. Score. Yeah. Um, the cinematographer is Ellie Smolkin, who has done other TV shows, or she's done TV shows he. mostly. He? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Magicians, I'm Dying Up Here in Good Behavior. Makes a lot of sense, because The Magicians is a beautifully shot show, mm-hmm. too. I haven't seen the other two of you. No. I'm Dying That was the... These S- are both TV shows. That was the stand-up one. Yeah. I'm dying up here. I've seen the first episode of that, actually. It's, like, about stand-up in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. Um, but The Magicians is beautifully shot, so... Yeah. Cinematography, a lot of... I think they get overlooked a lot, like, if you're not really into film. Yeah. Um, and it goes a long way if you have a good cinematographer. Yeah. It just... I mean, that's what, like, we always kept going back to on Mischief Night. Yeah. The weird one. Yeah. Because... Uh, it was like beautifully shot. I mean, it's it was digital and mm-hmm. it looked digital for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but it was just for such a low budget film, it mm-hmm. looked really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it can really amp a movie up, yeah. which it does in this too. Um, so lots of credit to yeah, and, bad and movie when Todd it looks Strauss nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then edited by Debbie Berman, who has gone on to do really big things with Marvel movies so yeah. Black Panther Spider-Man Homecoming Captain Marvel yes um, and yeah no I everything about like 
all of those areas I think are done beautifully and like mm-hmm. really well done. It's yeah, I think very well put together. The crew knew what they were doing. I read this little trivia on it that I thought was super funny. I guess in the script it says that they step into a technicolor world and I guess when the writers got to set they were like shocked to see that it that got taken literal. So you know there's that scene in the forest and there's like all these bright flowers like yeah. everywhere like that's what they had done and they're like oh that's not really what we meant but okay yeah i'm like, glad it stuck yeah i think it I looks think it, cool it, it does. and it, it looks like yeah a over exaggeration mm-hmm. of sort of what some of these set pieces looked like in yeah. these 80s films yeah I, I, I mean especially they just certain colors pop more yeah. like the blues and yellows and I, I i love the yellows in this movie i know that's a weird thing to say but they just look really good um, the cast is, like, you'll recognize every single person mm-hmm. in it. Um, I mean, Tessa Farmiga is our lead as Max Cartwright. Obviously, her huge thing is she's American in, like, every every season of American Horror Story almost. She was also in The Nun. Um, she is Vera Farmiga's little sister. Um, Malin Ackerman as Nancy, uh, as Nancy slash Amanda Cartwright. Um, her huge thing is Watchmen, but she's been in a ton of stuff as well. R.I.P. Trophy Wife. No. Um, B and I love that show, which so Thomas Middleditch was also in. Um, that was a piece of trivia B pulled up, so this was the second time they worked yeah. together. Um, Alexander Ludwig as Chris Bit, uh, Chris Briggs. He's kind of like that generic white model looking white guy yeah um like i was like at first what, what i was like is that alex pettifer and yeah. he was like no um but he's from hunger games that's like that's his really big. big one uh nina dobrev as vicky from vampire diaries um alia shaka shakat as gertie michaels from arrested development thomas middleditch as duncan from silicon valley or like, as ben recognized him as the verizon guy. the verizon guy he's now. like no 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 what's that and it's so funny. So I binged Silicon Valley when I was on maternity leave, and a lot of that was when I, my husband only got two weeks, but when he was home, I was watching it. And he was like, no, yeah, I did see a movie with him. And then he described the plot of an episode of Silicon Valley, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's Silicon Valley. He's like, no, 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 it was a movie. I saw him in a movie. I'm like, no, you saw him in an episode. It just goes to show you when you're, like, getting, like, broken sleep like an hour here and then a couple hours later you'll get another hour your mind just doesn't work nope. and yeah. so that is how he remembered silicon valley that movie, movie one time and i'm like no um adam divine as kurt from i mean his he was obviously the star Wars holics and he's gone on to become pretty big he was it's in been all in perfect movies things. yeah angela mike and dave. uh oh yeah mike and dave angela trimber as tina she was in rob zombies halloween 2 uh, Chloe Bridges as Paula. She's in the Carrie Diaries, and her and um, Adam Devine are engaged. Yeah, they met on this film. Yeah, and they're engaged now. Um, and then uh, Tori Thompson is Blake, and then our killers are played. So young Billy is played by Eric Carney, and then uh, Billy Murphy and his you know full superhuman form pretty much is Daniel Norris. Uh, but that cast for real, like normally. If you listen to the show, you know we highlight a couple of the standouts. Had to talk about every person yes. because they've all done significant things and are, are all still pretty, pretty, like pretty relevant. Yeah, the only person um, who's like still a main cast member is um, Tori Thompson, who plays Blake, and he's in a ton of like one episode of TV. So he's a working actor, but he's just a bit. Actor. He's just a bit actor. So. Yeah. If you look, he has a ton of credits, but it's literally like an episode of Mom, an episode of this. And so nice to see that. Um, I mean, he didn't have a huge role in this film. I and mean, he was in there. He was there the whole time, but he didn't talk much. Right. But 
um, it's nice to see that he's working still. I always get sad when it's like, oh, and then they never worked yeah, again. It's like, why? Nothing. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a meta slasher. Yeah. That is its subgenre, how we classify it, and then uh, fits into horror comedy as well, too. Um, our killer is Billy Murphy, and his motive is revenge on the campers who teased him, which is obviously, you know, like a bunch of 80s stuff that yeah. we've seen. Um, it's, it's always about being teased. It's definitely like he is 100% Jason and Crosby. Yeah. Like, put together. He's burned because the kids, like, toss a bunch of, like, firecrackers into the outhouse while he's in there. And it's funny, too, because, like, they tease him for being ugly. <laughs> Yeah. Like, he's not deformed at all, like Jason is. Like, there's no physical deformity. He's just ugly. Um, They don't show you his face either. mm -mm. It's just, like, they're making fun of him, and then you see the back of his head as he runs into the outhouse. Yeah, um, but he's just ugly. And then um, he's burned, and he goes out to an abandoned cabin, and then he comes back, and he kills everyone. Um, So it's, I mean, it's it's purposely generic. It is. It's purposely generic. And like I was saying before, I think... And I didn't really make that realization until I talked it out in that moment. But I do think that the script is meant to be about, obviously, the mother-daughter storyline and the, and these characters stumbling into this movie, mm-hmm. um, where normally there's going to be a ton of suspense and you're going to be scared that, you know, your killer's coming any second. And that's the intention. That's a whole part of the film. It's like, yeah... What's great about slashers is you get so much time with the characters and you start rooting for them or they have relationships or whatever it is. Where this one, it's like we have the entire movie and then there's just like, oh, but, you know, Billy's here. He's about to come up. And so it's kind of just like he's a side effect of the fact that they're in this movie. Right. And we're supposed to know those beats. Yes. Like there's not – there's – there's not the characters get scared but we know they're gonna get scared because we know the beats and that's on purpose like this movie 100 percent is not meant to scare you at all no it is supposed to play with those tropes and like have fun with them Uh, it's supposed to make you be like oh yeah okay he's gonna come out right now yes exactly be excited about you know what's gonna happen um he uses a machete again call back to jason Mm mm-hmm um the body count is it's weird complicated so technically nine um that are actually killed by Billy, which is a lot. But then four return from the dead, plus four that are killed but then return from the dead. Three of them are accidents. They're not at Billy's hand. And then Billy himself is killed. Yes. So, um, yeah. This is my favorite. So this character um, is uh, credited as Hunky Hiker. Um and so we start, that's, a, that's our first kill. And that's the first thing that happens when our characters stumble into this world. So we meet Max and... Yeah, that's not also, that's not including her mom dying, actually. It doesn't, no. Okay. So her mom dies in the beginning right. as well in a yeah. car crash. So we meet Max and her mom. What is her mom's real name? Amanda. Uh, we find out Amanda's an actress. Mm-hmm. And she's they, still struggling to become an yes. actress. Um, it's like her passion that she won't give up it on. And you can tell your, her daughter's like a little bit annoyed about it. Like, mom, when are you going to grow up? Um, and she's like in a waitress outfit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get in a car crash and mm-hmm. we flash back or we flash forward. forward um, because this is a slasher. You have to have, a, you have to have the flash forward. Uh, and her mom has passed away and 
she's being begged to go to this screening of a movie that her mom was in, um, Camp Bloodbath, um, by Thomas Middleditch's character, who's like our Dewey, or not our Dewey, our Randy in this movie, um, super into horror. Um, and so that's how we arrive at the theater. And so we're at the theater for this film, and then we get introduced to all these characters. Yeah. Um, and they sort of... Yeah, so we meet Chris. Um, that's Alexander Ludwig's character. He's the male lead and like the, the like the romantic interest. Um, and then her best friend, that's Elia Shawcott. Is that how you say it? Shawcott? Shawcott? Sure. I don't know. Um, as Gertie. Um, Gertie is stepsisters. Uh, is um, Duncan's stepsister. Um, that's Thomas Middleton's character. He's the big horror nerd. Um, Vicky is Chris's ex and also used to be friends with um max but um she's kind of like you know the tropey mean girl mm-hmm. essentially um and those so those are the like quote unquote real, real people real people um and so we're introduced to all of them in the movie theater um and like max is very hesitant to see the movie because she hasn't seen it since her mom passed away um and she's like doesn't know if she can really get through it and she finds out she can't like she like decides she has to get some air when when her mom pops up in the movie um and her mom's not the final girl initially in the movie she's just like the reserved what do they call it the girl with the clipboard yeah um she's like quiet um like the quiet reserved like camp counselor and she gets up and when she gets up there's this like combination of unfortunate events that happen but basically the theater lights on fire and she goes back to be with her friends and they cut a hole in the screen and they're going to go out, like, behind the screen, and that's how they end up in the movie. Um, so they end up, like, waking up on the side of the road outside of, I, uh, I thought I wrote it down, Camp Bluebell? It's something like that. Camp Blue something. The name of the actual camp, but it's called, you know, Camp Bloodbath. Again, another throwback to Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, and then that's when we meet our counselor characters. So we we do meet them briefly before they jump into the world because they do watch one scene in the movie before they get sucked into the world. Um, and so that's when we meet them, though. So there's Adam Devine as Kurt, and he's, like, the head counselor or, like, the male counselor, and he's, like, super horndog, like, that very... Again, these are all tropey characters. Like, he's the super horny, wants-to-have-sex-with-everyone character. Um, there's Tina, who is the super horny girl, um, who wants to get naked and like party character? Um, there's Paula, who is supposed to be our final girl. She like drives a Camaro or a Thunderbird and like wears a leather jacket and she's a badass. And then there's Blake, who is our I guess token black character. Yeah. Um, and he's like kind of like the nerdy character too. Um, he wears like you know really high socks and he has an earring and stuff. Um, and those are like in in movie characters alongside our killer billy um yeah so they get to camp bloodbath and basically this whole movie they're just playing out first like they're trying to figure out how to get home and then they realize that the way they get home is they got it well they think is to get through the movie Mm -hmm. um and they're like you know oh luckily we have duncan here um who is this character mimi i don't even remember her Oh, she's the girl who goes out in the yeah, very beginning. In the very beginning, um, and they have that. Like, luckily, they have Duncan because he knows the movie beat for beat, um, and he's like super stoked. Like, yeah. how we would be if we got 
yeah. stuck in one of our favorite movies. Yeah, he's We'd be excited. Like, oh my god, this is so cool. We're gonna live this out. Right. He's excited. They're all like kind of tripping, and then Max is like really having this existential crisis because she's literally living with her mother in this film, but, but it's, it's not, not her, her mom. mom. Um, but like she becomes very like hyper obsessed with the idea of her mom living through the movie because she's not supposed to, and she's like. So she's like, Mom, you cannot have sex with anyone in this. Like, like not Mom, but she's like, hey, don't have sex with anyone. And, like, they make it a mission to make sure that she doesn't have sex with Kurt, like, our Kurt character. Um, but, like, while this, all this is happening, this is when we kind of get those background kills. We get our hunky hiker and Mimi. Mimi's out in the woods, and that's when she runs into the hunky hiker, and they're about to, like, do it. Um, and, like, the real world counterpart or people are all looking for the keys to the car because they're trying to just drive away see if they can avoid everything um and that's when billy shows up and that's when we get our first two kills the hunky hiker has his um, eyes gouged out and his neck snapped and then mimi is choked to death and then um duncan is like standing there like billy gets up and they're all freaked out and they run away and duncan is being a little cocky and he's like no he can't kill me because he's not meant to like yeah he, like he's stuck within the parameters of this movie and you actually kind of think like oh yeah like that's how it is like he's stuck to the script of the movie and then uh billy comes up and stabs like just like thwacks duncan right in the side with his machete um and they all assume that duncan is dead so they run back to the camp um, and then they are running through the plot of this movie. So, like, essentially the plot, like, beat by beat is going to be, um, they find out the origins of Billy, which is told in this really cool way and, like, really, again, meta way where, um, Nancy is telling this story and, like, it's a flashback. So, like, the sepia tone drips over the screen and all of our real characters are like, what's happening? And they become all black and white and they're, like, living through the flashback. Yeah. Um, and they see the origin of Billy, which is all the kids calling him ugly and lighting him on fire. And then he shows up and he kills six, six, six camp counselors in their bed. Sip, sip, sip. <laughs> sip counselors um, in their beds with a machete. And now yeah, he, he just walks. It's actually pretty cool. He just walks and he goes with like one hack. hack oh, yeah. Hack, hack, hack to each of the bunks. Yeah. And then like um, that is like when they come out of the flashback and then we um, we meet our final girl. Oh, no, the final girl's already there. And then what happens is they all freak out because they come out of the flashback and Aaliyah Shockett's character is covered in blood and they realize that they were, like, teleported away and now they're back and all the, like, camp counselors freak out and try to, like, run away. So they're, like, running away from everyone. Kurt gets in the car with Paula um like who paula is supposed to be our final girl she's supposed to survive to land to kill billy and then they both die accidentally because uh because duncan who we all thought was dead runs out in the middle of the road they hit duncan run into a pole uh kurt is thrown from the car basically like his back is broken over like his legs are over his body and then they're all like oh my god paula's still alive thank god like the final girl she can do it and then the car explodes um so that's like fuck there's our final girl she was supposed to get us out right and that's where the movie kind of like swerves because they realize that they can't they don't have duncan anymore they don't have a final girl anymore and they realize they kind of have to use the little know-how that they do have to figure out their way out of this movie 
Um, so they basically, their plan is to turn Max's mom into the, the final girl. And, I mean, they want everyone to survive. Um, they craft, like, this really crazy elaborate trap in the house. And, you know, of course, because, like, it's in, like, 80s trope, like, they're playing with that. Like, the way to attract the killer is by being, like, getting naked. <laughs> and so they, they craft all these crazy traps in the house. Um, and then Tina, who they had to literally tie up because she kept trying to take her shirt off too early, they finally let her loose after she pounced a bunch of Ritalin. Um, and she does this crazy dance to Cherry Pie, and then sure enough, um, Billy shows up. Um, this is also after, like, Max has fully decided she's gonna get her mom out of the movie. Yeah, so it's like this whole arc, like, between her and her dealing with it, and she becomes friends with her mom character. Yeah, because they do this whole montage scene of them setting up the traps and them all learning how to shoot, like, bows. Yeah. And her and her mom are, they're making something. Her mom makes her, like, a friendship, friendship bracelet. bracelet. Yeah. yeah, but they're also, like, making traps in this cabin with this beautiful, like, blue overtone camera, by the way. Um, and, like, Max is telling her mom's character all about, like, the world that she's from. And and she's like, that sounds amazing. Like, I could be anything I wanted. Like, I don't have to be the girl with the clipboard. And she's like, I'll take you with me. So Max has, like, decided, like, I'm going to pull her out into the real world to, like, have my mom back. Um, so that's all, like, that, like, Max is really trying to make that happen. Um, Billy shows up at the house and everything goes wrong. Yeah. Um, again, kind of like the scene with, like, the car. Like, a bunch of people die really quickly. Um, so he walks in, yeah. So he walks in and, like, Tina trips on the, they have, like, a line that Billy's supposed to trip on. And she trips on it and falls with her head face first into a bear trap. Yep. And then. Immediately kills her. Immediately dies. And then Billy opens the door and Blake is just standing there and just gets a, the machete to the stomach and the camera, like, flips and turns and then, like, all chaos ensues from that. Yeah. Um, he goes up. Then there's, like, you know, they're, like, all trying to get to him. He runs upstairs. Um, uh, Gertie and Vicky are in there, and they're, they're trying. All, they're all shooting, like, flaming bow yeah. arrows at him while he's following them. Like, all things to try and stop him. And he ends up, like, pushing a bookshelf on top of the two of them, stabs through the bookshelf into Gertie into her back, and then um, Vicky's like, well, fuck, like, we're dead anyways. And so she takes um, the bow and arrow and shoots it at... She's... she's, she's Something. She, he's what covered. Oh, no, they, ha- they, they, oh, they, they carried him. Yeah. yeah, they doused him in gasoline. Yeah, and, and so she shoots him with the flaming arrow while she's under the bookshelf, and he, it explodes. And yeah. so she dies via explosion. Yeah, so Gertie and Vicky are she both sacrifices dead herself. To, yeah, to make it so that... Um, so that Nancy, Max, and uh, Alex. Chris. Or Chris. Yeah, Alex is his real name. His, oh. The actor's name. Um, so they can escape. So they think they've escaped. And then there's this really great scene where Billy jumps out of the window. And um, it's all in slow motion. So they're, But, like, again, the meta take, they're, they literally realize they're in slow motion. So they're like, what? happening and then the, you know one of them answers and goes it's slow motion and then like it hits out of the slow motion back into like fast motion um there's this whole chase scene and it's really cool they do like a narrative thing where they they're trapped they're stuck and then they realize a way they can get away from him is by teleporting back with the to flashback the yeah. yeah so they make 
um, Nancy, uh, yeah, they make Nancy tell the story again. And then when she tells the story this time, that's when they follow him back to the cabin because they're like, oh, I've never seen this part of the camp before. So in this part of the story, they follow him back and they figure out where, like, his his hideout is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But when they come out of the flashback, that's when Blake is stabbed. Um, No. Blake is dead already. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, That's when Chris is stabbed. Um, So he's, like, dying, essentially. Um, They're, like, hiding out and... Like, this church, almost? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is a church. Um... Max is trying to tell him, like, oh, I'll be right back. And he's like, that's not your mom. Your mom is dead. You need to let it go. Like, we just need to survive this. And Max is like, I can't. And she leaves him at the church and goes after um, Nancy, who has been taken at this point. Yeah, Nancy was kidnapped by Billy. Yeah, she was kidnapped by Billy. And so then we get to sort of, like, our big finale. And it's, like, the moment between them and... Nancy's like, I'm going to do this for you. Like, I get to be, like, you're going to be the final girl. Well, because Max is stabbed. They get back to the church, and Max is dying. And so Nancy, who I think kind of realizes she's her mom at this point, like, in the real world, is like, I'm going, like, that's not, I'm not supposed to live this life. You're supposed to live that life. Yeah. So, like, I was I was already supposed sub- to be able- Yeah, I yeah. was supposed to be dead already. Um, so she does a sexy, a sexy dance to Betty Davis eyes, which was the song her mom used to sing to her. Um, and so Billy shows up and it's pretty cool because once Billy kills her, um, it immediately revives Max because she instantly becomes the final girl. And so she like, um, like a hundred, 150% strength, like gets up and there's this really like most beautiful like scene in the movie for me she marches out of the church and there's like these rolling purple clouds behind her and like the sun is just starting to come up so the colors are like really nice and billy throws um, so much color talk for the guy who's colorblind i know well the colors in my mind look good i mean i don't know what they are to you but they look good to me um he throws an axe at her and she does like a total like matrix move where she ducks under it jumps up and decapitates him um and then uh chris ends up living too chris right yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris ends up living, and then it's it's great. Like they live through the credits. Like they watch all the credits, and then they live through like the end where it's like all white and it's like just the motion like motion picture rated R, and they're like, "What's gonna happen?" And they're like, "We don't know." And then like it blips out, and then they wake up in the hospital. So you think like, "Oh, they've survived." Like they survived their back the fire. Yeah, yeah, they survived the fire, and then this is the thing that Ben called. She still has the friendship bracelet that her mom gave her. Um, all their friends are still alive. Um, so not all of them, but Duncan, Gertie, and um, you know the real life. Yeah, the real, the real people are all are still alive. alive. And then they like hear something and they go out into the hallway and Adam De- or no, that's in the bloopers. You see yeah. Adam Divine characters lived. Yeah. Um, but like the doctor and the nurse are like flirting and they look and there's like a what is there? There's like a Teddy Ruxpin or a Gremlins doll. There's like a Gremlins doll and like a Pepsi Clear or something to make it very clear sure that it's that still the eighties. The eighties. Yeah, it's Gremlins. It's yeah. Gizmo. And then Billy jumps through the window of yeah. the hospital. And I mean, again, Duncan's character is incredibly excited to be in the sequel yeah. to the movie. And then yeah, the, like B was saying earlier, like the bloopers, like you see that Adam Devine's character survives too, um, um, which is pretty great. Well, yeah, so I guess originally none of the characters survived, and that ending tested super poorly. 
Um, And so they decided, because it's not a slasher, it's a comedy. You don't want your entire cast to die. Like, we don't care about the characters from the movie because, in our mind, they don't exist. Right. But I'd be, you'd be pretty upset if the movie ended and you're like, wait, they actually did die. Oh, yeah. Um, And so they brought back the entire real I think it works, too. I think so, too. Um, Like, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even though they're in the sequel, like, that's such a slasher thing to do anyways. It's like these characters who are killed off screen, not off screen, but essentially, like, you see they die, but you don't see them die. It's like, oh, of course they came back. Um, So our final boy and girl, we have both are Max and Nancy. I mean, Nancy is definitely the final girl. Also, um, we didn't say, but Nancy is named after Nancy, obviously. Yes. from From Nightmare. And then Tina is named after Tina from Nightmare. Yeah, they're both named after yeah. Nightmare characters. Um, so Max and Nancy, because, you know, Max survives. Um, and, uh, or Max, sorry, Max and Nancy, we have a final boy, too, because Chris survives. But Max and Nancy are, like, the final girls, Max being the main one. Um, and I think Max has a great character arc in this movie. Um, yeah. Like, as far as... I think they both do. No, agreed. Yeah, because yeah, Nancy, like, in the movie, her character arc is really great. It's so weird because it's very, it can't be super well developed because she's like a movie character, but she resigns to the fact that she's a movie character. She accepts who she is Mm -hmm. and the fact that she was already in this situation she wasn't supposed to be in, and she recognizes that there's this girl that has some kind of connection to her that she doesn't understand and that she needs to die because that's what she's supposed to do. So she, her arc is really just sort of, I mean, it's depressing when you think about it, but it's really her resigning to the fact that, like, no, I mean, I am the clipboard girl, mm-hmm. and that is, and I've had this really exciting adventure, and now it's my time. Yep. And then Max having to accept the death of her mother. Yeah. But realizing that she can live, relive, like, parts of her mom by, like, watching this movie and existing with that in that time with her. Um and like B, B mentioned it earlier, like this movie would be very generic without those emotional beats, and it's not that the beats are just there. Like, I think they're really good. Um, I think they're very, very well thought out, and you can tell they're written from a place of someone that was using it as a cathartic exercise. Mm-hmm. So Joshua John Miller, like, I think did a really great job, um, and I think. Um, it hits home a lot for like the like the emotion i've read a lot of articles to people who like straight up are like dude this movie like that's like that's a hundred percent like how i feel like about my parents like the loss of my parents um and so i think they do a really really good job and like max has a really great character arc um b and i both said though like taste of farmiga kind of plays the same character in everything she's in yeah, I'm not, like, a huge fan of her in general. Um, like, she's always just fine to me, but she's always plays the same character, which is just, like... The shrug off kind yeah, of, like, like, slacker girl almost. Yeah, like, nice and... Like, like nice enough. Nice and unassuming, yeah. and then, you know, does have to take charge when she needs to because of the type, because she's in a lot of horror roles. Mm-hmm. So she's always fine to me. I'm never like, oh my god, she's in a movie, I don't want to watch it. But she definitely doesn't sell a movie for me. Um, I like her in this just fine, but it's nothing that feels any different than I've seen her in American Horror Story. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, your favorite kill? 
Um, I love the Blake kill. Yeah. Um, because I just love how they mainly how they set it up. This movie is weird, like we said, with all the kills. Um, there's a lot of fun accidental ones, but I love this one because it's in starts the chaos, and I love how they shot it so Blake gets stabbed, and then they flip the camera um, and turn it around as he flops onto the ground, and then it's like, oh shit, this just got real. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually killing off characters, and he's here, and it, it's the first time that there's a real threat posed to our real characters. Right, because it's the first time he showed up, too, that is post, like, no final girl, no idea what yeah. they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, so um, I really like that one. That's a great one, and I agree. The camera angles are great. Um, I, for pure laugh's sake, the Tina yeah. with the head in the bear trap is hilarious to me, yeah. and it's so sudden and shocking. Like, she turns and trips, and it's not like, they don't play, it's not like a super big comedic beat, because like you said, like, everything kind of just hammers off when he yeah. gets there. So she literally, like, turn, trips, falls, head, and then, like, all the characters just look at the door where he's standing, and they're like, oh shit, what do we do? Yeah. So, like, they don't even play, like, a lot on her. It's just, no. like, this very quick, like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love, again, it plays into that whole scene, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie, because it's so frenetic. Mm-hmm. And it's like super fast paced and it feels frantic. Um, so that is going to be my favorite is the Tina kill. So this movie, one, because of the type of movie that it is, like it's a meta horror comedy. There's a lot of fun quotes and there's a lot of fun like Easter eggs that I want to cover before we rank it. Um, so I, <laughs> there's two quotes that I seriously, I can't get over. They crack me up every time I hear them. So <laughs> Duncan. Thomas Middleditch, by the way. Thomas Middleton and Adam Devine elevate this movie comedically yes. so much. And one of the parts of trivia is that they were highly encouraged to improvise, which I think is really... I don't think Adam Devine ever cannot. No. I, I, I just think possible. that's him. Yeah. Um, and I'm new to um, Thomas Middleton's stuff, but he's super great. I absolutely adore him in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's amazing in this movie. So his line, it's like, so it's like, ever since I was a little boy, I've dreamed of being the final girl. And I'm like, yes, it's the best. I love it because it's 100% every fucking boy slasher fan in the world. Yeah. That's what we think. We're like, yeah. I want to be the final I girl. I want to be the final girl. And I just love that so much. Yeah, and his delivery is great, too. Yeah. Because he's like sitting there eating hospital like ice cream or jello or something. So it's so excited. Good. Um, and yeah, just the passion. I love, I mean, I love the character in these meta movies that's into horror films because obviously we really relate to them. Um, and I just, his animation is just really the best. Mm -hmm. It's so great. Um, and then Tina, this just like, I forget about this line until she says it always. And it just cracks me up. She's like, Oh, I love legends. Loch Ness, Bigfoot, Bon Jovi, all of them. Just so good. She's a great character. Yeah, she's um, great. I picked one of Kurt's lines that's Adam Devine's character. Every line he has is pretty funny, and especially watch through the blooper reels because, again, you see him and Thomas Middleditch just improvise, like, like go, go off each other, yeah. Uh, and, but one of the lines is because he's like the horny guy. So he says, Someone asks if they'll give him a hand picking, like, berries. And he's like, Nope, but I'll give you a hand with those melons. Talking about her boobs. You guys get me, right? And that's, a, like, a. Every every single line he has is a sexual innuendo, uh-huh. which I think is great because like, so there's a couple times in this movie actually where you, it helps again. The context is so different when you know the writers because we know that um, Mark is gay 
and they like so one this like super overt like sexual stuff like you know is tropey um because of the writers but also um Kurt makes a couple of like gay jokes because that was the the trend well, in the eighties. Yeah, so does he actually say the oh, F word? I don't think he says the F word. He asks Chris's character if he's gay though, and he goes, No, but my dad's are. Yeah, he says, No, but my dad's are, and then you can tell it's written by somebody who's queer because it's like, Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it's pretty great too because they do there is a lot of that, but you can you can tell that it's trope like it's not them being gross. No, it's meant to be like a to, over-exaggeration yes. of those characters that did exist in And then films. that small little callback of like, no, but my dads are. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah. Like, it's pretty great. Um, So a couple things, like Easter eggs in this one. We've talked about a few, like Nancy and Tina, their names. Um, the whole Cropsy, Jason inspiration. I mean, that's obvious all over it. Um, Nancy's actually modeled after um, Jenny from part two, um, which I think you can definitely see. Um, and then Tina is modeled after Linda and Halloween and Morgan from the House on Sorority Row. So I thought that was fun, little tidbits. I also loved this. So in the original Friday the 13th, um, in the opening, they're singing uh, Michael Row Your Boat Ashore. So that's the same song the counselors are playing. Um, after the first murder and they're wearing the very similar yellow shirts to the original like 50s mm-hmm. um, Friday the 13th like the, the opening oh, yeah, to the, the original scene, Friday yeah, the 13th yeah. so I thought those were fun callbacks that like when you're in that scene it definitely feels like Friday and then when you read this you're like oh that's why it feels so Friday um, and then a couple thoughts of trivia which I thought were interesting because they, either they've come up in other movies or it's interesting because I think these choices, the change in choices made this a good movie. Mm-hmm. So in the original script, um, when our real characters get into the film, their physique changes. Um, so their waistline shrunk, their breasts got um, ballooned, and sort of playing on the idea that all of the women in these especially on Friday, but in a lot of these slashers yeah. were big-breasted, very small thin, waisted, small yeah. women um, in tiny little outfits. I mean, we a movie that we're watching for next week, oh I mean, there's literally that's just... That's 100% That's that, just yeah. what it is. It's yeah. just tiny women with their breasts out, and it's about their bodies 100%. I get why you would do this. I 100% get it. I'm so glad they did it. Mm-hmm. It's a choice that makes sense. Oh, their bodies changes, but that's one that's, I think, a really hard thing to get right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess part of it was that Gertie was so, like, s- obsessed with her new look that she wanted to stay in the movie. Um, and I hate that plot line. I absolutely hate it. I'm mm-hmm. re- that I hate. I get the other side of it. like The wanting, physical the joke physical aspect. The physical joke aspect of yeah. it makes sense. It's not necessary, and I think it would have... Um, put a damper on the film. I think it would have been a one-off joke that goes on too long. Right. Because, like, it'd be funny as a one-off. Yeah. But it's not funny to... But to have them be like that the Mm -hmm. whole film, just when it makes sense, the only way it'd work is if it, like, it snapped out for some reason, which I don't know how they would do that. So I'm really glad that 
that ended because I think that takes away from the heart of this movie. It is a comedy, but there's a lot of heart. Yes. And that's what makes it good. And that would just make it a little bit not great. And there's another thing about that sort of line that I'm glad got changed. So the whole Gertie mentions she's not a virgin anymore and then she it gets revealed that she slept with an autistic guy which even when I'm watching that I'm like God, why is that necessary to say that's such a weird thing I guess it was originally wrote, written very mean-spirited um where it was like it's, they don't explain but I assume it was alluding in a derogatory way that the fact that she or making fun of the fact that the guy she lost her virginity to was autistic because what the fuck does that matter? Um, and so I guess Aaliyah had a huge problem with it, and she came up with her own line for that. When she, and that's how she handles it. She's like, yeah, yeah, he was. Like, very confident and sort of dismissive of that comment. Yeah. Um, where you can tell she doesn't have a problem with it, and she's letting the girls know that they shouldn't either. Yep. Um, and I think I really respect that, and I'm glad that she spoke up, because I think maybe when things are written out on page... It can seem like a joke that makes sense. Like, we're playing the fine line. Like, we have the gay jokes and the jokes about women's bodies. Yes, because we're making fun of films from the 80s where that's what they did in a not funny way. But I think that can that can get muddy, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about um, people with any kind of disability or difference. Right. And there's a difference between, again, it's one of those things that in context it's better... It's better to know. So, like, I think I don't think the gay joke is offensive to begin with because it's handled so tactfully. Um, right. But like, this movie was made in 2015. Like, that a joke about someone being autistic has no place in this movie. Like, jokes yeah. about like it's different. Like, I feel like it's a very different thing to like make fun of how they were so insecure with sexuality in 80s movies mm-hmm. and like so casual about dropping like the f. Uh, the you know the f-bomb and stuff that's different than just like randomly declaring that someone's autistic right and then because that wasn't it. something that happened in no, 80s movies no, it's that's not, not a trope or it's anything. not it's a trope or mean. a joke so yeah it didn't make sense and so it just reminded me of the whole like deaf joke and happy death day oh, yeah and how it, that, that could have so easily just been, maybe been on paper and then when the role came to him and like, yeah, maybe we don't do that or maybe we handle this differently. Maybe I make the joke, but I don't impersonate a Helen deaf Miller, person yeah. say, like speaking. Um, so I liked that and uh, I really respected that decision of the actor. Um, so I thought those were kind of interesting little tidbits of the film and like how things do need to change and evolve from the regular script and sometimes it makes it better and yeah sometimes shit gets cut out and the movie gets ruined because the script got chopped up so much Mm. but i don't know so it's an interesting film for sure oh yeah definitely yeah um so it's placed in the horror landscape um it is a big big fan favorite for slasher fans yeah um outside of slasherdom no no one really knows it um it's like i mean Horror fans definitely know it. Like, slash fans know and love it. Horror fans know it, maybe have seen it, most like it. And then casual moviegoers might have stumbled across it because of a Nina Dobrev connection. But Yeah, but that's it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, no. Even even people I know who like my friends who like horror movies are like, oh, what's this? Oh, yeah. I've never heard time. of this. Yeah, and no, it's no, because no. it was a festival movie that just went VOD. Yeah. And it's weird, like, 
things are getting better because the internet's becoming so prevalent and because of like Netflix and HBO but and this things isn't are, streaming on anything. Yeah, but this isn't streaming on anything. It was still it's crazy to think like, oh, it was only four years ago, but like four years ago was a very different era of digital streaming. Like it wasn't it definitely wasn't what it is now. Like it has evolved so much in the last two years, I would even say. Um but there's still like so many horror movies that like people just are never going to hear about unless it pops up on either in a theater or like you know like itunes like yeah. itunes is a good big place this would get a lot of love if it went on netflix oh yeah no, it would definitely. i would see a big re- like resurgence of it you can rent it um for 2.99 on almost all platforms um but you'd have to be seeking it out to do that yeah um 100 percent worth watching though yes for sure well, um, obviously you've watched it if you're listening to this episode and if not then um I guess still go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so it is our 45th film, and as you know, at the end of every episode, we do rank our movies. Um, we have that whole list at keepstreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, you know, there's kind of a breakdown of what we look for in a movie. It's not favorite movies uh, or, like, best movie. It's, uh, how, there's certain, like, slasher things that we look at that make it a slasher movie. Which is everything we just discussed. Right. So we're ranking it on all of those elements we just went over. Right. Over um, the merits of being a slasher. Yeah. So last episode, last two episodes we covered The Carpenter and I Still Know What You Did last summer. Um, those are landing at 34 and 35 on the list. Um, and so let's I was see. like, wow, Carpenter did that well? And I'm like, oh no, I still know we, we hate it. So, um, yeah, so um it's interesting because it it does hit a lot of the beats of a slasher movie we like the things we look for it has an emotional character arc with our final girl um that involves like kind of this family background uh, we get like our traditional flash flash forward um we get to play with a lot of these fun tropes um we get some pretty solid kills not like the best in the world but they're pretty fun um, so even though it's like making fun, like realistically, the only thing that's taken out is, is the suspense of it, but that's on purpose. Well, not necessarily. The suspense is taken out, but also the focus of the film is so different. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's about a slasher. They're in a slasher movie, and the slasher beats are there, but it's not playing out like one. Because our focus is on these characters. The focus is more on we've got our main characters in a wacky situation that they need to get out of. Mm-hmm. That's the focus. And then the slasher's happening to them. Um, so where are you looking? I'm thinking like maybe like 27 is where I would put it. That's kind of where I was looking to, because it's similar beats as Cut. It's similar, yeah. It's similar to Cut. We've got a movie within a movie, um, but it even Cut acts is more of a slasher than this. But this is a better film, and the slasher elements that it's doing does it better than Cut. So, you're looking under Hellbent, above Clown of Midnight and Cut. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah. Because the only other one I'd argue is, like, I do think it handles some things better than Child's Play, which ultimately kind of ends up being, like, more of a, almost a supernatural movie than Mm -hmm. the slasher, but there's still a lot of, like, slasher stuff we really do get in Child's Mm -hmm. Play. There's still a big family element in Child's Play. 
and then Chucky himself really yeah, elevates I was say. that movie. So the and like I said, like Cut works better as a slasher, I think, than this does. Like as a true blue slasher, but this film handles its slasher elements better than Cut, and overall has better arcs of a final girl in a situation. Yeah, and so that's why I would put it above Cut, even though I think similar movies and how and what they're handling a movie within a movie Mm -hmm. um but what the final girls does different makes up for the fact yes i agree okay so new number 27 okay so it is now under right under hellbent and right above the clown at midnight um that's pretty solid because I knew, I was like, it, I love this movie. I love Again, it this so is much. one of those things that if we were ranking favorites, it'd probably be top five yeah, like of it's... our list. Like, damn near close. Definitely top ten. Um, but when you start breaking it down, it's like slasher elements, I do start moving it down. And I was originally looking like 23, 24. Yeah. So that range, I think, fits and works yeah. really well for it. That's something B and I talked about doing maybe one day as a bonus episode, is going over the movies that we have. Maybe we'll do it when we hit 50. We're pretty close. Yeah, or maybe for our two-year anniversary, we'll, yeah. we'll re-rank everything in a favorites list. We'll give you, like, a favorites list, because that would be pretty fun to do, I think. Um, because it is vastly different. Holy crap, it's so different. Um, and, yeah, we'll actually probably hit 50 right at our two-year. Yeah. Because we'll have a couple extra episodes in. Yeah, and if you guys want to stay up to, um, like, uh, on track with us, um, we're pretty organized right now which is pretty it's really nice actually so our next movie is cheerleader camp which right now you can only find on youtube mm-hmm. um but if you want to um you can watch the whole movie on youtube for uh, free for free so that's our next movie and that's cheerleader camp and then so that will end out august um yeah yes. I think we, and then our september movies we're gonna do two and we're doing um the house on sorority row and, and then, then sorority, sorority row, row. Um, so those are the ones that we're going to tackle for September for like kind of our back to school theme. So if you want to, you can keep up with us and watch all of those and those episodes will be coming and then we'll do something special for our two year anniversary, which is October, right? Yep. Um, so we'll do something special. Like we said, possibly like, um, a special episode where we we re-rank everything in order of favorites and maybe we'll try to get like a guest or two on. It'd be fun. Um, cool. And we'll be back in two weeks with... With Cheerleader Camp, that's a movie. (laughs) And until then, keep screaming.